You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family. In this episode, we have a slightly different take on the real estate value add process. We're going to hear from Mike DeHaan, who actually has built a sales process to acquire the best acquisition rehabs in the single family and small multifamily space. He started off paying wholesalers to find these deals and quickly realized that A, they were mediocre deals and B, he could do a better job finding these by solving other people's problems. He also was smart enough to get involved with a mastermind and have some sort of education before he dove headfirst into this. So without further ado, we're going to unpack all of this and more. Here's Mike Nahan. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton, and I'm joined today with Mike DeHaan. Mike is a recovering corporate engineer, just like I am. So this, this story is near and dear to my heart. Mike started out his career as an electrical engineer wearing a pair of golden handcuffs. Upon realizing he was deeply depressed in that job, six-figure salary and the perks that came with it didn't make him happy, Mike walked away from that job, literally burned the boat with no real plan. After a short bout teaching himself to code and getting a job at a startup, it was clear he wasn't going to work, that wasn't going to work for him either. So Mike started researching passive income and found real estate investing. He liquidated his corporate 401k, paying massive fees and all, and bought his first two properties in June 2018. By the end of the year, he had bought another property, a duplex, and had caught the REI bug. Since then, he's gone on to do amazing things. I'm excited to have him on the show. Mike, welcome, brother. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Glad to be here. You know, it's, uh, it's always nice to meet another recovering engineer. But it's kind of funny. I feel, I feel like that's a, a trend. I'm starting to see more and more amongst real estate investors. I think there's something about the systematic process of real estate investing that kind of draws the engineering mindset. I think you're right. And I think, you know, I think we all have a little bit of analytical skills. We have some nerdy tendencies, but it, it just means we're good at, at financial analysis. And I think the better the engineer you become, the more you realize, man, we are just really highly paid burger flippers. And if they could, if they could <laughs> remove us from that equation and have a product without development, they would do it. So yeah, yeah, man. So tell, tell us about you. Tell me how you, how'd you get into engineering? What drove you to exit? I kind of gave a little preface to that in your bio, but man, just tell us how you got to the point where you burned both. Yeah. So I, uh, I started at Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington, where I, where I currently live now. I guess right after high school, you know, I didn't really take any time off, things like that people do. It was 2009, right after the, the recession started. And I remember going to my first career fair my freshman year, and there was like six companies at this career fair, you know, and out of those six, I think five of them were for engineering uh, firms, right? So I was like, cool, well, I guess I'm going to be an engineer then, because <laughs> so I got to be able to get a job, right? So... I was dabbling in different stuff. I settled on electrical engineering after doing uh, a little bit more research, mainly on the, the pay structure. That was the biggest thing I was focused on, the hireability of it. So went that route, got a bachelor's in electrical engineering. When I went to leave, I could I had the pick of the litter when it came to jobs. There was no electrical engineers out there, tons of demand for hiring them. So I had tons of opportunity. I ended up working at a consulting company out in Tacoma for a couple of years. I didn't really like that because I learned that you're very literally selling your time at that point. So if you go to optimize anything, it's not going to 
it's not going to work well for you. After that, I managed to snag a job at Boeing where I worked for a few years and that was like mega corporate structure. And at that point, you know, I realized that there isn't really a whole lot of engineering that engineers do. Really, it's just managing projects and not necessarily in a, in a fun way either. Isn't that funny? I had that realization as well. We'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. You know, when I, when I first started engineering, you know, I thought I was going to be, I don't know, designing like Iron Man suits or something super innovative, right? But then you go in there and even when I got at Boeing, I remember my first day, I walked through the facility. I was working in the, uh, called the skin and spar facility. So basically where they make a lot of the uh, the paneling and the internal components of the wings and walking through and seeing all the equipment and there's like all the robots going, I was like, this is going to be so cool. And then they took me up to the drabest, darkest cubicle farm. And they're like, cool, this is where you live now. And they just parked me there, you know, and I was so far away from the action. And it was, and even, even then when you would be down on the floor, you quickly realize that the only reason these planes are getting built is because it's so processized from being around for so many decades that like, it's kind of failure proof, right? Like there's enough people that know their one task, but if there was ever like a hiccup, like it would go away. But yeah, so ended up staying there for about two years. And then I, uh, she went to my third company, which was a uh, utility out here in Spokane. So moved from Seattle back to the Spokane area. And that was a great company to work for. And then after a year there, I was like, this company's great. They're paying me a lot of money. I don't have to work that hard, but I'm miserable. Like this isn't for me. So I pretty much just kind of burned, burned the boat, as you said, and walked and decided I'd try to figure it out. So that is the epitome of the golden handcuffs, right? And, and that's the definition of insanity in my book. And I think Albert Einstein is the one who said this is doing the same thing over and over expecting different results, right? And so, you know, I followed the same path you did. And it seems like it was like, you know, you, you hop from job to job for a little while, kind of in, in similar disciplines, right? Looking for happiness and you got the high pay that came with it, but the work just wasn't fulfilling. And you do, most people do that their whole lives. And you wonder why people drive themselves insane, right? <laughs> you're looking for this, you're looking for the same fulfillment that you're just not going to get when, when you you know, are, are tied to the, the the golden handcuffs rather. So I respect you tremendously for pulling out and, and, and burning the boat. So now that you've burned the boat, you know, what, what was your next step? Like, how did you, how did you, how did you decide I'm going to burn the boat? Did you, did you have a plan? Did you kind of know you wanted to get into real estate? Like, how did you go from there? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I remember when I kind of realized that I was going to need to make a change I was actually on vacation and I was reading the, the four hour work week. Right. And that's sort of a classic entrepreneurial book. And that really changed my mindset on, you know, what it means to you know, not only generate income, but also to live a lifestyle that allows you to, I, know, I guess, enjoy it and not being tied to a, a traditional job. So that sort of got my wheels turned in. And then I remember uh, going through like the next little bit, I was going back and forth with my wife about it and we were talking about it. And then where it finally became, super real to me that I was going to do it was when I talked to my parents about it. And it, it's interesting because my parents, my my mom comes from a very educational background. You know, her her father, my grandpa was uh, head of the chemistry department at USC. So oh, very wow. academically tied. And so for her, college education was very important. Whereas my dad, he's, he's a bit older and he graduated high school and was like an entrepreneur from the start. And he was like, hey, do what you got to do, right? Although my mom was very much like, well, we just spent all this money for you to go to school. Like, what are we doing? And so when I did that and I, I made that commitment by sort of telling them what I was doing, it sort of became real. And that's when I sort of had to commit fully to it because <laughs> I can't have that conversation and change my mind, right? 
So uh, when I when I took the leap, my initial intention was to go back to school and get into like physical therapy. You know, I was into fitness. I was competing in strength sports. And so I quit, went and worked in a PT clinic for about a month and was like, yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> so completely changed again and was kind of in no man's land. So then I started going back to the uh, four-hour work week thinking of like, how can I start generating passive income? How can I start getting these muses going? And the first thing that came to mind, because I'd also read at that same time, um, The Millionaire Fast Lane, which is a, a lot more tech focused, right? So I was like, cool, I'm going to go learn to code and I'm going to basically create an app or something that I can have like a subscription model. And so I got into coding. I spent three weeks, not three, sorry, three months in my basement, essentially teaching myself basic web development and was able to get a job with a startup based out of Chicago. After a period of time doing that, you know, I realized you're not going to pay me very much. So I was like, well, I need money going from somewhere else. And I was like, well, I do have these reserves and something else that's like a subscription is rental income. It's like, cool. So I'm going to buy some houses. Right. And my initial intention was to just buy a couple houses, you know, have some money coming in so I could work to build this startup. Anyway, things went for a little bit. I was working for this startup. I was doing real estate on the side. Startup went belly up and I was like, well, I don't really want to start over this real estate thing's going. So I might as well just sort of lean into this a little bit. And that's kind of how I started getting into real estate as a business. And I started flipping houses and, you know, pursuing more, uh, I guess, like transactional side of it rather than the passive side of real estate. So forgive me for saying it this way, but you kind of fell into it, right? I mean, you, you were doing it on the side as a, Hey, look, this is a good way to get a little bit of cash while I go, you know, build this awesome startup that, you know, be like Elon Musk and go change the world. Right. And then I get it, you know, COVID happened, everything that they went belly up during COVID, right? No, this is all before COVID. This is oh, this is a different story. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all 2019 and uh, it's 2019. I started flipping houses and getting into that purely because the, the startup went belly up because the two owners had a riff and basically there's like, we're done. And they just killed the whole thing. Right. So, you know, after spending almost a year doing that, it kind of just went away, you know, and I walked away with. I guess I know had some good stories from it, but that's about it. No real financial growth. Lots of, you know, life lessons, I guess, from it. Yes, that was 2019. So I started flipping houses on my own, made tons of mistakes in my first year doing it solo. And then uh, November of 2019, I connected with this guy named Ryan Dossie on Bigger Pockets and sort of like shared my story. At that point, I had, I guess, four properties, the triplex, duplex, two single families. And I was like, hey, I need to find you know, more properties and he just done this thing on uh, this podcast on bigger pockets about generating off market deals. And I was like, I want to know what you do. And he said, well, I started this mastermind. Would you like to be a part of it? And I said, yeah, sure. So I was interested in that. I went and I met with my best friend who was a dabbling investor and I convinced him to be my partner. And, you know, we paid our money. It was 5,000 bucks at the time, which was a big deal to jump into that mastermind. And that was very end of 2019. And then we started our, our official business, worst possible time we could have, which was March 2020, which was when COVID all came around, right? So, you know, but after that, I mean, we had our hiccups, but since then, you know, it's just been ripping, just been taken off like a rocket ship. So, 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 okay, there's so much to unpack there. So you exited corporate America, you, you dabbled around and, and were like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go work in some startups. You know, you played that game for a little while and the startup didn't work out, but then you kind of, you found this thing in real estate, like, hey, this is actually kind of working. Let's scale this up. So what did you do? You didn't just try to go it alone and learn from the school of hard knocks, which by the way, in this world, the school yeah. of hard knocks can end you before you begin, right? You can make big mistakes. Yeah, it almost did. So I did it by myself for a while. So most of 2019, 
I was a solo operator. I started flipping houses. I flipped a few houses by myself, basically just trying to figure it out sort of thing. Really, really stretched our our financial limitations. I mean, at one point we had this deal that we were trying to, this house we were trying to get out of. And we closed the sale on it literally the day before our $275,000 balloon payment was due. Oh, wow. So, so, you know, I almost lost it all. We got very, very close. And even to this day, I don't know if my wife actually knows how close that was. So she might hear this. But you know, the wonderful thing about that world, and I'll tell you, we have some stories like that as well, where we almost lost a lot, but we didn't. There's always another way in real estate. You can always negotiate, even with these lenders. And you know what? Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Other than that, it doesn't matter. You didn't lose it all. You, you, you succeeded and now you're on it. You live to fight another day, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so okay. We've gotten to this point and now you decided, you know, I see a way that I can scale this thing. The, the thing, the common denominator I see in, in your entire story is like, how do I multiply? How, how do I, how do I do this more? Right? So you found something that works. You're like, okay, I want to do this more. You were intelligent enough to go get help, to, to find someone, success leaves clues, find someone who has done it before, pay your money, treat it like an education and go and go do it, right? And that was this mastermind. So what did you learn in that mastermind? How did that help you? And oh, by the way, you know, most of the people that we're talking with here on this on this show are in multifamily. My company is in multifamily. We, you know, we buy apartment complexes. You're playing a little different strategy. So maybe insert kind of what your real estate business is, you know, and, and how you're killing it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the key with any real estate business or any business in general is having leads, right? Having leads for customers. When you're buying property is exactly the same. And when you're in the, the residential space, especially the best leads with the most income potential are motivated sellers, right? You know, so those people that are going, filing for divorce, they're declaring bankruptcy, you know, they are a landlord that has distressed property, things like that. And so I recognize this because when I was flipping houses by myself, I was mostly buying from, you know, what's called a wholesaler, which is these people that find these deals and then they assign them to somebody else. For a small fee. For a small, yeah, sometimes just yeah. disgusting <laughs> fees. I mean, I, I, I say that with that sort of tone, but I mean, we've definitely had some very good fees ourselves. Sure. I, I recognize that those people are making a lot of money, like just finding the deals. And we wanted the opportunity to grow our portfolio without having to pay them. So we have, we have to generate those deals ourselves. So this mastermind specialized in creating a brand that does that and have the processes of not only generating the leads, but also doing so in a sustainable way that builds credibility in your community and allows you to create a business. So we started just basically doing that. And it's been as simple as, uh, you know, sending out postcards, doing cold calling, all like the most basic marketing strategies, which take money, they take work, they take patience, take persistence, but it works. You know, and it's one of those things when we first started, I was totally a non-believer. And then I remember when we first, when we sent out our first mail, we spent 5,000 bucks again, which we did not really have. And we sent out five, it was 5,000 mailers, it was a dollar mail, uh, the piece of mail is these kind of higher quality letters. And then all of a sudden the phone started ringing. I couldn't believe it. You know, we're having all these what? It works? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, me- I remember calling my my business partner, you know, because I was kind of on the, the back end of it doing a lot of the acquisitions. That's kind of our, our roles is I do a lot of the acquisitions. He does a lot of our rehabs and manages our properties. And I was like, like, my phone will stop ringing. It's been ringing literally for two days, you know, from people that wanted to talk to us. And I couldn't believe it. And, you know, from there, it's just been, you know, once you start getting your KPIs, you can measurably increase your lead production by spending more money on marketing, right? Because we know how much a lead costs to generate. We know how much a lead costs to close. And so we can 
project how to scale this thing. And, you know, I think that one of the interesting things about the residential market compared to multifamily is multifamily is all about value add, right? And you go and you find a way to increase value of the property, you sell it, exit, whatever. And there's, there's good margin there. That's huge. We basically do the same thing, but we buy at such discounts, right? That we almost make our money at the purchase rather than having to do the value add after the fact, which we still do. But when you're buying, you know, a single family home for 50 cents on the dollar, you know, you're making a huge amount of money there the second you sign the initial paperwork. So, you know, I think that it's, it's a slightly different model, but the principle is still very much the same. Yeah. In any real estate transaction, you're absolutely right. And you make your money when you buy, right? You can mm-hmm. speculate and make your money on, on the sale, but you, you definitely make your money when you buy. You know, th- there's a world in, in, you know, kind of where we play, where we, similar to you, we, we source 50 cents on the dollar, you know, apartment lease, for example, something that's yeah. maybe like decrepit and 50% occupied, right? Mm-hmm. You know, go rehab it. So it's kind of the same thing on a larger scale, but you, you're right. Gener- the, the value there is doing the work is great. I mean, I can do the work on any property and that's valuable keeping that on budget, but generating the lead is the hardest part, you know, cause I, I can, yeah. I can call up any broker and say, Hey, I want to buy a property from you. I've got 10 million bucks behind me. Sell me something. And he'll sell me whatever, whatever he's got, but the true value is finding the deal. So you guys, and, and I want to come back to the mastermind on this, but you guys have figured out that, okay, we know how to do the work. We know how to operate. We're effectively buying leads, right? In, in our early phase, but now we just need to figure out how to optimize and create those leads ourselves and go direct to seller and find them yourself. And that just probably 10 extra profits, didn't it? Well, it's, it's, it gave us the opportunity to, you know, um, Chad, like the, the thing is anyone can generate leads and that's awesome. That's where it gets started. But the, the difference between the people that generate leads and waste a bunch of money and those that do so and make a bunch of money is a sales process. And, you know, learning how to solve people's problems and how to recognize these opportunities when they come up. There it is. And it, exactly. And, and I, I think that that's been the biggest differentiator for us is being willing to commit the time and really dive into the weeds with with a lot of those those issues, because. You know, when you're working in the off-market space, especially with distressed sellers, it's a lot. It's a lot more complicated than just you know sending money to, sorry, sending paperwork to an escrow company, wiring money, the transactions done. You know, we're doing things like helping people move, like helping people with bad credit figure out how to get into an apartment complex, helping people manage their divorces or their probates, right? You know, getting into really detailed plays on properties for like increasing value. Like we just finished a rehab where we had a duplex that wasn't really like a functional setup. So we cut staircases into both sides to make them more desirable. And in doing so, we spent $30,000 to do that, but it added over $100,000 in value to the property, right? And really starting to think about these opportunities in ways that are a lot more, I guess, like creative or or a lot more broad. You know, I've never, I never thought I would be spending so much time working with other people's lawyers or like getting into people's personal lives, right? And sometimes it's fascinating. Sometimes it's like, oh man, I don't even want to know. Why yeah. this, this this came around, but wow, um, wow, that's super creative. Yeah, and not and not everyone wants to do that too. It's funny we we had a a friend sort of inquire about recently. He's like, you know, they wanted to get into investing, and they're like, I don't understand how you guys can be doing so many deals when I when I feel like every other person like people can't even find a house to buy for themselves right now. And we're like, well, not everyone is willing to walk through a house and waste high deep garbage and then say, yeah, I'm happy to clean this up for you, right? And that's literally what it takes. You know? so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. This is a pretty incredible business plan that you're, that you're operating here. 
how did finding the right mastermind help you to see that, that you needed a sales process, that you needed to remember you're in the people business first, you need to solve people's problems? Like, I'm sure you didn't just come up with all this organically. You had a little bit of help and it got you there quicker, right? I'm sure you would have figured it out. You're a smart guy, but it might have taken you five or 10 years, right? Exactly. And I think that the value of a good coaching process or, or mastermind is impossible to really emphasize, right? Like, I mean, and it's tough because there's so many Joe Schmoes out there who are trying to sell you something to make a quick buck on their e-course or whatever. But what we bought into is a community and a process, like a step-by-step process made by somebody who's actually done it, has a track record, has a lot of clout in the industry. And what it did is it a got us looking bigger picture than just you know generate leads and get deals and more into like how do we build a brand and do it sustainably which which has allowed us to you know keep going even with the ups and downs of the, the crazy market that we've had this past year um, and also too it gave us accountability right because you know we have a, a slack channel you know where everyone's posting their wins everyone's helping each other out everyone's keeping each other motivated and it's a really incredible way to keep driving forward through the goods and the bads because that, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people get upset about. I mean, we, we've had times we've sent out $8,000 worth of mail and we've gotten no deals, right? That just happens part of the process. Imagine a newbie doing that and not having anyone to talk to that understands that and say, well, that that's happened to us as well. You're going to quit. You know, if your first set right. of $8,000 goes to none, right. <laughs> no one's going to spend that again, right? That's an insane thing to do. Yeah. But if you have other yeah. people who are helping you coach through that and figure out where things went wrong, what you can do better next time, you know, that that's incredibly invaluable. You know, and the $5,000 that we spent on that mastermind has been uh, more than 100x in return, several hundred x between, you know, equity and appreciation and pure cash that you generated from flipping and wholesaling and buying these rentals that we bought. Couldn't agree more, Mike. You can't put a price on good education and the right education, but not just the education, the camaraderie and the accountability, right? Exactly. That, that is, that's huge. So, well, Mike, this has been a fantastic episode. This is a slightly different business model than most of our guests talk about. So I'm, I'm really glad you came on and kind of talked about another way you're performing value adds in the space, right? And it comes all the way down to how do you source the lead? How do you solve someone's problems to help that sale go through and get a hold of that property? And I think that one of the, the common themes here, the best deals are found when you're willing to do something no one else is willing to do, right? I mean, I, I, and I'm going to speak about the apartment industry. There's value adds everywhere. I can go buy a textbook value add deal for too much money because it is, you know, all day long, because that is where you don't have to use a lot of creativity. It's go update, paint color, flooring, and add some appliances and raise the rent, right? Well, everyone knows how to do that. That's easy. It doesn't really require anything foundation or plumbing or electrical or you know, nothing like that. And guess what? The demand for that is high. So you pay too much for it, right? So, so you found a way to, to find the ones where you have to walk waist high in garbage and, and you know, no one else is willing to do that. So I, I commend you for that. Before we get out of here, Mike, I want to switch over to the Quattro Trio. Three questions we'd like to ask everyone who comes on our show. So and I think you may have alluded to this already, but what is your superpower in this business? Yeah. So I, I feel like my superpower is kind of like what you just alluded to is finding opportunity where other people's other people don't. And you know, whether that can be in creatively find the properties, right? Or working with people in situations that are overly complex. A lot of the deals that we've gotten, because the off-market investing space is so competitive, a lot of deals that, that we've picked up over the past year 
have been ones that people wrote off because they thought the asking price was too high. There wasn't opportunity there. You know, that duplex I mentioned before, where we cut in the stairwells, numerous people passed on that because the guy wanted too much money and we were willing to pick it up. And I was like, well, what if we optimize this? What if we figured out a way to make it better? And sometimes it's, it's almost counterintuitive because everyone goes and they walk in an ugly property, like, well, new kitchen, new bathroom, it'll make it look nicer. It could rent for this. I'm like, well, what if we cut in a stairwell? What if we remove a wall, you know, to make it a, a nicer area? You know, what if we frame in this giant open basement into two extra bedrooms? You know, we're working on one right now where we're cutting into the base basement concrete to add in a bathroom to make it a five, two instead of a three, was it a three, one right now? You know, it's going to be a huge value add play. And most people aren't able to do the work. And I just don't think that way as well. Finding value where others miss it. I love it, Mike. Now we've just talked about all these ways that you're awesome and you built this great business, but give me some dirt, man. Tell me, tell me one area where you failed miserably and what did it teach you? Yeah. So I think going back to that one I mentioned before about where, where we signed the paperwork on that. Um, actually that deal the day before the balloon payment was due. That whole project was just a disaster from the start. And the biggest reason it ended up that way was because I had some successes, you know, I had some traction and I thought I was just like the smartest guy ever. And I, you know, trusted people that I really shouldn't have trusted because, you know, A, I think I was too like a bit lazy and wanted to do my own due diligence. And B, I was, I came for this sort of mentality of like, I'll just figure it out. Like what could go wrong? So, you know, I, on that one, I trusted the wholesaler who brought me the property that I bought it from them, that the uh, conditions with the zoning and everything in the property was legal when they were not. I trusted the second lender that the wholesaler brought to me after my first lender backed out because the property was illegally zoned. And the wholesaler brought me his friend who was a lender who basically helped me purchase the property and had no no interest in me being successful on it. I trusted my partner on the deal, which is a different part of that now about what the rehab was going to cost when they really had no idea. And I didn't do any of my own due diligence. Right. And I just figured that, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I've had some wins, like this will be a slam dunk. And sure enough, I ended at the end of the day, we ended up losing about $25,000 on that property. And that right there is educational uh, expense right there, right? That's that you went to school on that $25,000 and, and that was your, oh, yeah. that was your education. So I hear you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow. All right, Mike. Well, last question. You have a gift for the audience or something that you'd like to provide. How can they find that? Yeah. So follow me on Instagram at Mike underscore invest. Um, you can sort of keep track of what I'm doing. I'm not incredibly active on Instagram, but you know, I post some stuff about the, the deals that we're doing. And then for the gift, I have a website, mikeinvest.com. And on there, I have a free download where you can get sort of our five-step process start, starting to generate off-market leads. It's literally step-by-step the process that we used to get started. And, uh, you know, it has all the, all the softwares, all the applications that we use and, uh, yeah, go in there and download that completely free. So awesome, Mike, thank you for that. And if the audience wanted to get in touch with you, is that the best way or is there another way? Instagram probably the best at Mike underscore invest, or you can also email me at Mike invest REI at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, real estate runway family, you have just heard from Mike DeHaan, who is doing a slightly different take on value add real estate, a little more creative. I love it. If you want to get in touch with him, you have the methods, you have some access to some free tools that he uses to be successful. And until next time, this has been the real estate runway podcast over and out. How is your company managing your capital raising process? Syndication Pro is the number one solution to help real estate syndicators and fund managers automate fundraising, investor relations, and reporting. 
Syndication Pro is a solution that is trusted by hundreds of firms, large and small, with billions being managed within the platform. Here at Quattro Capital, we have seen a drastic improvement in our ability to provide better customer support to our investors, a co-sponsor module to our alliance partners when partnering on new acquisitions, ACH distributions, an SEC compliance CRM, and even the ability to take soft reservations on upcoming projects. Look for the link in the show notes to try Syndication Pro risk-free for seven days. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.